0: I'll invite you to take your Bibles and begin with me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we just spent a few moments in prayer. And we do this in the context of every service, Sunday morning typically, uh, uh, for a typical service where um, we'd be at, at the church, I would pray and, and lead us in that prayer on a, on a Sunday morning. On Sunday evenings uh, we open it up for any of the men of the church who would like to pray, uh, to pray. And then on Tuesday evenings, of course, we break up into ladies and men and everyone has that opportunity, um, whether in a popcorn prayer type fashion or a round robin type fashion, everyone has the opportunity to pray. And the reason why we do this, the reason why we, we pray together in every service is because... Prayer is so very important, and that's what I want to remind us about this evening. Uh, It it, it is literally just a reminder message. Uh, there, There are those things that you might see from time to time, whether you're listening to the radio or a podcast or watching the television or whatever it might be, called a PSA, a Public Service Announcement. And typically, public service announcements are not necessarily things that you don't know. They're not necessarily things you've never heard before. They're just things that you need to remember. And we all, um, we all need this, don't we? We all need reminders from time to time just to remember what we're doing, what we're about. Uh, there is a tendency within human nature to kind of fall off the wagon a little bit. That if we're not vigilant, that if we're not careful, that if we're not discipline that if we don't have a good framework in place or even if we do have a good framework in place, there's a tendency to, over time, just kind of get uh, apathetic, just to kind of stop doing what, what, we, what we need to do in one area or another area. And there are times, uh, needful times, of refreshing. Maybe that's just someone uh, an- making an announcement to remind you of what is expected. Uh, at the Good News Club every week. One of the things that we do when we go to the Good News Club is we review the rules every week. Now, for the children who are there, the majority of them, if they've been there before, uh, they, they know those rules and they know those rules very well. They, they have those rules memorized. As a matter of fact, uh, if I were to say, hey my children, would you please call out those rules right now, I'd probably, from my office here, be able to hear my children up in the living room who are watching this uh, call out those rules and I bet that they, they would get them word for word because they've heard them so many times and and they're fairly simple now we do them every week because there's always the possibility of new kids every week but that's not the only reason why we do them every week because every week we need to reset our mind when we get into Good News Club on what is needful on what is expected of us a public service announcement helps reset people's minds on what is needful on what is expected of them and so in a manner of speaking this evening uh, I I would like to 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 remind you I'd like to give you a public service announcement and that because we need to remember to pray. Prayer is hard work. You think well why? Um, you just you pray you talk to the Lord it's not necessarily something that is uh, um, always tiring, though it can be. It's not something that is always um, uh, uh, um, uh, takes heavy physical or or emotional toll per se, though it can. But the reason why it's hard is because there are so many distractions, cares, and there are so many spiritual battles that are being fought when one seeks to pray. There are so many ways in which uh, the enemy would love to just subvert the the Christian impulse to take his needs to the Lord, and that because prayer is one of the absolute greatest resources that the Christian has. Now, as we think about prayer, of course, in the Old Testament, we see examples of godly men and women praying. I, I mentioned this morning Hannah in our time together in 1 Samuel, where uh, she was troubled and she went before the Lord and and, and she was praying silently and her lips were moving. And the high priest Eli uh, thought she was drunken and rebuked her. But then she said, no, I'm not drunken. I'm grieved. I'm, I'm, I, I want a son and I'm barren. And, and Eli blessed her and she had a child. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we see this beautiful prayer uh, unto the Lord by Hannah when she's dedicating her son in the temple of, of the, the joyous victory uh, in that she was given a son of the Lord. We know of David praying in any number of times of needs and of sorrows. So many of the Psalms are David's prayers unto the Lord. Uh, We saw him pray um, through the night and through the day when uh, his child with Bathsheba was sick until the point where the child died. We know of Moses who would regularly fall upon his face before the Lord, go into the presence of the Lord, ask the Lord, show me thy glory. And, 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 and uh, pray before the Lord. Of course, we know of Solomon and his great dedication prayer when he built the temple and dedicated it unto the Lord. We know of Elijah praying on Mount Carmel, uh, Elijah praying after the fact, um, and, and all of the, the victories that were wrought there. We can see prayers, Daniel and uh, his prayers in, in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9 and the results of those prayers. Of course, Job as he spoke with the Lord in the end of, of the book of Job there. And so we have all of these wonderful prayers in the Word of God, and we see that prayer is powerful. We see that prayer is the means by which we, we have access to the Lord. And as we uh, consider to remember prayer this evening, the first thing uh, that I would like us to do is remember uh, and, and some of the places where prayer is taught of. And, of course, one of those primary passages is Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is instructing on prayer. I'm going to go to three other passages in just a little bit that I really want to focus on. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is instructing on prayer. And he says in verse 5, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So the first instruction we get in prayer is don't do it hypocritically. Don't do it just to be seen of men. Don't, don't step into prayer as a religious exercise of pretense in order to make people think you're something you're not. We can't fool God. And so as I call you to a remembrance of prayer, the first thing I want to remind you to do is to pray in a spirit of, of prayer. Right? You don't need to pray for my sake. Don't You don't need to pray to impress me. You don't need to pray to impress your spouse or your siblings or your parents. No parent is interested in hearing their children pray pretentiously or hypocritically. No pastor is interested in hearing his church people pray pretentiously or hypocritically and God is certainly not interested in us praying pretentiously or hypocritically. We are not in a religious system whereby we need to invoke certain words certain patterns or certain lengths in order to be perceived as godly or to feel as though our prayers have some effect. We have a tendency toward longer prayers at at Legacy Baptist Church and uh, more customarily within our movement, we have a tendency to longer prayers. But God forbid that we should seek unto long prayers. We don't seek unto long prayers or we don't seek unto public prayers or anything of the sort. And so Jesus says in verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in she- secret shall reward thee openly. So we see this exhortation that we would pray in secret. That doesn't mean we have to pray in secret all the time, but that in our hearts, when we pray, we pray between us and the Lord. I was talking to a young man many years ago, um, not in our church uh, anymore. He was in our church many years ago. And uh, when we would open it up to pray after the fact, he came to me one day and he said, "I just have a hard time praying publicly. I get nervous." And I told him I said, you know I, I used to be that way too, but then something happened. What happened was I stopped praying for people and I started praying to God. I stopped praying in a manner of thinking that I'm of thinking about the people around me. and I just started praying to God out loud. And at that point, the nervousness went away because it has nothing to do with who's hearing me anymore. I don't need to sound godly. I don't need to say certain words. None of that matters. When, so- when someone comes up and says, you- You're a really good prayer, you-, you sound really good when you pray, that- that- that's-, that- that's not a compliment. Now, if what they mean by that is, Wow, I could really sense the Spirit of God in your prayers and, and-, and your letter of the Lord, uh, and-, and that's obvious, and uh, I, one person uh, said one time, This is the greatest compliment I've ever received in prayer. Uh, he looked at me after we prayed and he said, I can tell that you've spent a lot of time with the Master. That was a compliment. <laughs> that, that, that helped me know, especially coming from this person, that, that, um, that the Spirit was working in that prayer. But the idea of you sound good, or wow, that was a good long prayer, that's all pretense. Pretense has no place in prayer. But, you know, take a look at the end of that, verse 6. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Don't forget that either. That prayer has an effect. See, I think sometimes the reason why we struggle or forget or fail to pray is because we fail to take into account just how much prayer does matter and how many things can change through prayer prayer. Verse 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And so we don't need to exercise vain repetition. Now, repetition is not bad. Every week we pray for our government leaders. And we do that more or less in obedience to 1 Timothy chapter 2, which tells us First of all, to pray for our leaders, for kings and those in authority over us. So we do that. Every week I pray for many of the same things. I pray for God's people in a number of ways. We pray for missionaries in a number of ways. It only becomes vain and repetitious when I think that because I've said it a certain number of times, or I think that the certain order of the words in which I invoke them, or whatever the case may be, might have some sort of benefit or blessing. That's the concept of the rosary, right? You have the rosary, and those rosary beads that they use are to keep track of how many times they've prayed the same thing over and over, because if you don't keep track, you will invariably lose track when you're praying the rosary, because they pray it so many times, thinking that for their much speaking, they will be heard of God. That is the very definition of this kind of vain prayer. That's not how we pray. But if something's on your heart, Christian, every night I pray with my children that they would grow up to love the Lord with all their hearts and souls and might, and for the ones that are unbelievers, that they would accept Jesus at a young and appropriate age. It's not a vain prayer for me to pray that every night. That is the urgent desire and request of my heart every single night. And so I pray it with gladness and without hypocrisy and without any sort of vanity in repetition. Following that, we see what is often called the Lord's Prayer, uh, perhaps better modeled the the model prayer, or labeled the model prayer. I think the Lord's Prayer would be better indicative of, of the John 17 prayer where Jesus prays for us. And we're not going to get into that. I've taught on that before, and that's not necessarily going to be the focal point of this evening. But, remember these principles of prayer as you as you are called into this remembrance of prayer remember first those principles i now want to take you to three illustrations three parables of prayer that have a very interesting link one to another and i'm going to be in luke 11 for the first two a couple weeks ago i talked about importunity and i botched it up really nicely Uh, i had talked about importunity as it related to the woman and the unjust judge and importunity is not spoken of with the woman and the, and the unjust judge. That's in Luke 18. Importunity is spoken of, of the friend who comes to his, his, his friend at midnight and asks for bread here in Luke 11. And we're going to see in Luke 11, verses 1 through 8, and then again in verses 9 through 13, and then we are going to go to that Luke 18 uh, passage, verses uh, 1 through 7, and we're going to see three different parables of prayer. And within the scope of these three parables of prayer, there's something very interesting about them, a, a, a unique um, similarity between them that I want to highlight here. A- and I think it's going to help us a little bit before we, before we kind of try to conclude things together. So in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, that would be Jesus, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So remember, this is within the context of this request, and the request is, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we have again that Lord's Prayer, that model prayer. And in verse 5, then, he, he speaks toward this concept of prayer and, um, illust- and, and gives illustrations to help them understand the nature of prayer better, the nature of how it is that we bring these requests before the Lord. Verse 5, and he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine is in his uh, in his journey has come to me and i have nothing to set before him and he from within shall answer and say trouble me not the door is now shut and my children are in bed uh, are with me in bed i cannot rise and give thee i say unto you though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth so we have this illustration of a man who comes to his friend at night. I I trust that you're familiar with this. I'm not, I don't think, breaking too much new ground this evening, really. The the entirety of these quarantine messages, I've not been breaking new ground. I've been trying to remind us of things. But within the scope of this, we have a friend who comes to another friend at midnight, and he wakes him up. He's banging on the door, and he's asking for three loaves, for bread. Uh, he, He had a friend come at midnight, and he needs to feed him. This would have been the culture of hospitality within the scope of uh, the New Testament um, it, well not really New Testament more, more Old Testament Israel within the scope of Jewish culture and custom at the time uh, it was very very important to be ready and, and, and hospitable to one's guests if they came and asked for a roof over their head and a meal uh, that was something that would be absolutely expected of you And so he, wanting to honor his guest, wanting to do right by his guest, but not having the means by which to do so, goes to his friend at night and asks for three loaves. And uh, within the scenario, the man within says, look, leave me alone. I'm here with my children in bed. The idea would be that they all slept on the same level. I don't want to wake up the kids. I don't want to have to step over them. I'm, I'm tucked in. They're tucked in. We're all settled in for the night. I I'm not I'm not going to get up and I'm not going to give you this. This is ridiculous. And yet, within the scope of this scenario, this friend had what was what is called importunity. Importunity is a brashness, uh, a a borderline um, rudeness, as it were. It's it's a it's a, a confidence. It's a it's a a boldness um, that is is almost beyond acceptability and that's what that word importunity means and he says though he won't give him because he's his friend just being his friend is not enough here to make him get up but because of his tremendous importunity because of his urgency because uh, he is going he is bold in his request because he had the gall to knock on this guy's door in the middle of the night to get what he needed he is, eventually his friend's going to get up, he's going to give him the bread, and, and he's going to be able to take care of, of, of his, his traveling friend. And then from this scenario, Jesus steps into 9 and 10. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be open unto you, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You, you don't get what you don't ask for. And though it might even be a bold, a brash request, though it might even be that one that where you'd say, "That God, why would not you give that to me? That's that's uh, that's beyond the pale." Whatever it might be, oh, I'm not going to ask God for that. Well, you're you're never going to receive if you don't ask. When I was growing up, I played a lot of soccer. Uh, that was that was, and, and in many ways, is still my my sport of choice, and. Um, when I played soccer I had a coach who had a simple policy a simple a simple framework within which we played and that framework was this if you don't shoot you won't score because there's a tendency in sports especially when you're younger to wait for the perfect shot well I almost took the shot but I would have missed or I wasn't quite at the right angle or I was a little bit far away or or whatever it might be well look if if you don't shoot you know you're not gonna score if you shoot there's a there's a chance at least but if you don't shoot you won't score look if you don't ask it won't be given my children know this my children are pretty importunus they have this um, capacity to ask and I love it they'll come up to me after every meal and say dad can we have something sweet or, Dad, can we have such and such for dinner? And there may not be much of a chance that they're going to get what they asked for. They, even if they got sweets on three occasions already that day after dinner, they'll come up and say, "Dad, can we have something sweet?" They're they're going. They're importunists. They 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 uh, they they are bold quite often in their requests. But here's the thing: for every nine times that I will say no you've already had sweets today or no you didn't do very well eating your meal or no we're not gonna have that for dinner or no we're not gonna fill in the blank for every nine times that I will say that there might be one time where I say you know what why not sure let's do that but they never would have gotten it if they never would have asked so ask it's not gonna hurt to ask Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. What do you need? What do you desire? Now, there's a framework within this. We're going we're gonna to see that uh, in a little bit. We're going to get to James chapter 4 and understand that. You can't ask in uh, to, to consume upon your own lust. God isn't going to give you things that, that you're lusting after that are going to pull you from him. God isn't going to... Um, um, answer your prayers as it relates to things which are wrong or sinful or or lustful or or whatever the case may be but prayer is asking and as we ask not only are we then asking but we're aligning my children continue to ask for sweets after dinner because from time to time they get it but if my children asked for something and I looked at them and said, you will never get that. Well, they could certainly ask again, dad, can we have that? And I'll look at them again and say, you may never have that. And eventually they're going to learn that dad says, no, that's something I do not want you to have. Or if they ask enough times and I say no enough times, they're going to recognize, no, that's something dad is not willing to let you have. And then they ought to learn from that and grow and understand how they can frame the request to better align with father and so we see this first parable and what's interesting about this take note of this is that jesus gives this parable about asking within the context of a friend who did not want to give the request who had no interest in fulfilling his friend's request take note of that and then let's continue looking in verse 11 if a son shall ask bread Of any of you that is a father will he give him a stone or if he ask a fish will he give uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent or if he shall ask an egg will he offer him a scorpion if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him and we see in Matthew give good gifts to them that ask of him so we have this second scenario and within the second scenario this is significantly more the father-son scenario as uh, contrasted with uh, simply the friend-friend scenario. And within this father-son scenario, we have a son who is asking for something good. And do take note of this, that as I just mentioned, uh, God isn't going to uh, answer, pra- uh, give us the things that, c- that are consumed upon our own lust, or that are selfish or sinful or whatever the case may be. Um, notice here that, that that these are good things that as it relates to those things which are good for me, that as it relates to those things which are needful for me, that as it relates to those things which the Lord would desire me to have, that as it relates to those things which are, are, are natural and righteous and virtuous, um, if a son asks for something which is needful and good, in this case, bread, or a fish, or an egg, Jesus says, will He give him something which is evil, not wicked, but bad, unsatisfying, unfulfilling, or maybe even harmful? Will he give him a stone if he asks for bread? Will he give him a serpent if he asks for a fish? Will he offer him a scorpion if he asks for an egg? See, this would be counterproductive. Uh, This would be a bad father. It would be a bad father who would do such a thing to his child who would take his child's valid, genuine, needful request and would requite him for that request, not only ignoring the request as we might see in that friend-to-friend relationship in verses 1 through 10, but that he would actually requite him evil for that, uh, um, punishing him, as it were, for the request, mocking him for uh, his request. Much to the contrary, though, Jesus says "A a a loving father would not do this and making it clear By contrast, that God is exactly that. Now notice the relationship here between these two. In both of these scenarios, Jesus paints a picture of God the Father through the lens of contrasting him with someone who is selfish and disinterested. With a friend who is disinterested in helping another friend because the circumstances aren't conducive. With a father who is disinterested in blessing his son, but rather, in in this case, uh, cursing his son. uh, Um, bringing about a, a mockery or a scorn of his son's needs. And through that we see a contrast with who God is. Now keep those two in mind as we go to this final passage here in Luke 18. In Luke 18, beginning in verse 1, Jesus gives a parable. The Bible says, as it relates to this parable, verse 1 of Luke 18, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So the last parable, the last two parables were in relation to the, the, the model prayer and the exhortation, teach us to pray. And so we pray and we pray within the scope of that model. We pray within the scope of desiring the Lord's will to be done, aligning our heart with his heart, uh, seeking unto his kingdom. Um, uh, in a, with, with, with a heart that is, not, uh, that is free from unconfessed sin, uh, that is not begrudging or unforgiving one another. That's all the model prayer part. And then we do so um, with importunity, being willing to ask of the Lord anything, and with confidence that the Lord is going to be good to us and give good things. So that if, if we, in our, in our bold importunity, in, in our bold and brash request to the Lord do not receive that which we would expect then it's because it's not a good thing it's not a good gift whether by timing or whether by content or whether by context it's not what the Lord has for us it's not what is best for us and we step into the the prayers with the Lord with this kind of confidence that we can pray knowing how to discern what is good, what is wrong, what, and, and, and then having a full confidence that the Lord will, will bless us if what we're asking for is blessworthy. Luke 18, saying, and here's his parable, verse 2, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while... So we see this uh, parable as it relates to consistency in prayer, that as there are things which are needful to regularly pray for, to bring before the Lord, as there are things on our heart and burdens on our heart, we see the picture of an unjust judge. It's a judge that does not fear the Lord and, and does not regard man. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about what God thinks. He does not... Uh, fear the judgment of the Lord for his uh, lack of justice. He doesn't care about any of those things. He really only cares about himself. And yet Jesus says there's this widow and she wants to be avenged. She wants justice. So she goes to the judge because the judge is the one that can meet out justice. And the judge has absolutely no interest in her, has no interest in pity, has no interest in helping her, and has no interest in no fear of God by which to say well even though I don't care about her, I, I'm going to do what's right because God is watching, and that really matters. Uh, that old uh, concept, which is that there's always someone watching, right? Character is what you do when no one's watching. the The old saying says, except that there's always someone watching. And so I do what I do. I don't just. I'm not just honest when someone's watching because God's going to see me. I don't just put down my actual earnings on my taxes because the IRS might catch me because even if they don't, God saw it, right? I don't just drive the speed limit in case there's a police officer around the corner. I don't just slow down to the speed limit when there is a blind corner. I drive the speed limit because God is watching. I don't cheat people because God is watching. And since God is watching, I can't get away with anything, right? But the judge doesn't even have that fear. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about the woman. He doesn't care about God. However, this woman is so persistent. He says, "Well, because she's so persistent, in order for my own good, in order to get her off my back, in order to get her away from the gate in which I, at which I sit, I'm just going to give her what she needs. I'm just going to I'm going to reluctantly mete out justice." in order that I can get her off my back. Even this unjust judge will be willing to do what is right, will be willing to avenge his his uh, someone within the scope of his jurisdiction if only to get her off his back. And then Jesus says, how much more then will God avenge his own elect that cry to him day and night? That when those who are gods cry for the injustices that are being done to them, when those who are gods weep and mourn for the wrongs that are done against them, when those who are, who are gods um, long for, for justice to be done against the wickedness of this world and the lies and the deceits of this world and the evil people of this world who are seeking to destroy um, the truth and who are seeking to destroy those who love the truth, how much more will God avenge his own who cry to him day and night? though he does bear long with them, though he has been very long suffering with the wicked. But make no mistake, God will avenge. Now the point here is, is again, not to compare God to the unjust judge in, in in a synonymous way, but rather to contrast him with the unjust judge. And so within the scope of these three teachings, we find three negative examples that serve to highlight the positives of the Lord. We see the negative example of the friend who will not get up to help his friend in the middle of the night because he's tucked into bed with his with his family. But here's the thing. That's not God. God's not fickle. God's not selfish. God doesn't sleep. God's not going to have to step over any kids to answer your request. A human friend might be that way. A human friend might be reluctant, a human friend might be unwilling until you push him to the max, but not God. That's not God. Then we see the picture of of perhaps an unkind father, a father who would mock his son's request, a father who would be unkind to his son, a father who would not even give the son what he needs. And We see that picture, but the point is this, that's not God. God is a loving father. And see, so even if you never experienced a loving father, even if you never experienced those good friends, maybe, maybe you've experienced more of the opposite. Maybe you can really relate to the friend who just won't, who, who won't go out of his way for you, but he calls himself your friend. Maybe you, you can relate to the father who was malicious for whatever reason, thinking maybe that the world needed you needed to learn hard lessons or whatever. And so you you could not go to him. You didn't feel comfortable going to him. He was a cold man. He was a hard man. Uh, he he would uh, not ever answer your request. Maybe maybe that was your father. But even if that was your father, what what Jesus is doing here in contrast is saying, that's not God. God is a loving father. God is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then maybe you've come across injustice. Maybe you've even understood that as it relates to the justice system. We've seen those cold hard judges or those cold hard hard, uh, legal impositions where a person uh, imposes the maximum idea of, of, of legality as it relates to the law where... Uh, the letter of the law may have been broken, but certainly not the spirit of the law, and yet they're going to use you in his example and throw the book at you, or whatever the case may be, or use the law as a, as a bludgeon to wield against those who cross them, whatever it might be, a good old boy system, or these sorts of things. Maybe you've seen that before. And the point of this parable is, that's not God. Much to the contrary, God operates in prayer the way you would want your friend to operate when you call him up and you say, Hey, you know, buddy, it's we, we we go a long way back and I need a favor. And he says, Yep, I'm there for you. It's kind of a brash favor, it's a little bit bold, but I'm gonna go for it. Lay it out there. He says, You know what? That is a little bit bold, but I'm there for you. That's God. It's the Father who you trust implicitly. And you say, oh, well, if, if, if dad doesn't want me to have it, that's understandable, but, but I kind of want this. So I'm going to ask. I might as well ask. I, I love my father and I know my father loves me. He's not going to jump down my throat for asking. He's not going to mock my request. He is going to, I know he's going to at least consider the request and align it with his priorities for me and, and uh, bring it, br- bring my request within the context of his desires for me and my best good. So I'm just going to ask. And God says, I do love you, and I will consider this, and I am going to do what's best for you. And God is that one who will bring justice. God is just. He is always just. And we can know that as we cry before him day and night and seek unto the Lord for those things which are right by his own standard, that he's not an apathetic judge. That he's not one that does not regard man. That that he he is not a, a, a God who does not regard his own design and his own system, but that we can rely upon him. And these three parables, all of which reflect, well, one parable and two examples, all of which reflect negative examples, and God saying, look, that's not me. Help us understand who God is. God loves you. God wants what's best for you. He wants to give you what's best for you. You may not always know what's best for you, but God does. And more than all of this, more than than just the fact that God wants what's best for you, more than all of these things, God is trustworthy. So you can be confident to come to him. If you had a father, or a friend, or an authority, who was absolutely trustworthy. And, you know, I hope you do. I hope you find that in your father, children. I hope you find that in me to whatever degree uh, there's spiritual need. I hope you can find uh, uh, trustworthy and honest and desirous and, and, and uh, uh, attentive to your needs and your desires and your requests and such. And if, if you have that, and you understand the freedom that that gives you, why would you not tap into it all the time? What would stop you? If you knew that you had a very generous, wise, caring father, what what would possibly stop you from asking things of him? If you knew you had a helpful friend and you were in need, what would possibly stop you from seeking out to him? If you knew that you had a just, and honorable judge and you had a need what would stop you you wouldn't be stopped you would have complete confidence to go before them because you knew that they would do right by you and it doesn't necessarily mean they'll tell you what you want to hear It doesn't necessarily mean they'll give you what you ask for uh, but you do know that they love you and that they will do right by you that's God God will do right by you so so why not ask now Again, if you ask and it does not come to pass in the way you expect, don't then say, God, you didn't do right by me. See, that's, that's not it. You ask and it doesn't come to pass the way you expect, that's when you say, wow, God, that's not what I expected. Thank you for doing right by me because if I had had my way, it would have been terrible. Things would not have gone well. I wanted that. You wanted that for me. Thank God, you, I, 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 thank God I asked you so that I didn't go and get that when you wanted that. Thank you for giving me that. We saw this with the piano, didn't we? At the church. Haven't been able to try it out much uh, since this whole thing. But, but did we not see that? Did we not have all of these ideas in our mind as to what might be best and what might be good and where we might get it? And we bring it before the Lord and the Lord gives us something entirely different than what any of us expected. And, and, and okay, well, Lord, thank you. We, we, we didn't necessarily think about that that avenue, And yet there it is. You've given it to us. Thank you, Lord. Now we know what you want for us, and we know that it's best for us. That's confidence. And all of this leads us to that exhortation in James chapter 4. From whence come, verse 1, wars and fightings among you. This is not talking about geopolitical wars. This is talking about infightings among believers. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye fight and war yet ye have not because ye ask not ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own uh, upon your lusts James says you, you ask for things and you don't get them because you're asking for yourself you're asking selfishly you're not you're not seeking unto that which is best or that which is right. You're not asking for good things. You're asking for yourself. And that's not how this works. But notice right before that, he says, "Ye have not because ye ask not. And this is what the Lord has been laying on my heart. We've taught on prayer. We've we've gone through prayer many times. I love to use the example of father and children. I use some of that tonight and walk through some of those principles. And they're so important. And 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 knowing what prayer is and how to pray and why to pray and all the ins and outs of prayer is very important. But do you know what I find for me is is the the, the toughest part? It's not understanding prayer. It's not understanding how to prayer how to pray. It's not it's not uh, even necessarily the concept of importunity. And being brash but it's 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 just praying it's being willing to set aside the time it's being willing to be deliberate to spend time with God it is setting myself aside and recognizing I don't have all the answers and I can't solve all of my own problems and actually laying those problems before the Lord it is the process of waiting for the Lord and not just rushing ahead and doing what I want to do and taking what I want to take but rather slowing down and waiting for the Lord to to make it clear to open those doors to answer those prayers to bring about in my life the thing which is best according to his good pleasure it's going to my father and saying father this is what I want rather than just running and saying well I've got enough money in the bank account or well I've got enough time or whether, or well I've got enough energy so I'm just gonna go do it because I think it's good well let's wait let's stop and ask the Lord then let's wait on him to confirm it in me let's wait for the let's wait for my father's good gifts my father who knows me better than I know myself my father who understands my needs better than I understand my needs my father who recognizes my vulnerabilities my father who who is not like a bad father who will take advantage of my vulnerabilities and my needs, but will rather take full, uh, will, will take all of my vulnerabilities and needs into careful consideration before he will do anything as it relates to me. Not as a friend who has no time for me, who is too busy or is too settled, but rather one who is ready to give good gifts not as one who is unjust and uncaring and unfeeling, but one who rather has my best interest in his mind. We have all of these things at our disposal, but don't forget to pray. Take time every day and pray. Pray with your family. Pray by yourself. Well, I've been praying for so-and-so for a long, long time. Those of you who who, who knew Caitlin, my family prays for her every day, That she'd come home it's been three years now but you know what we're gonna keep praying don't forget to pray your family members who are walking who are not walking with the Lord don't forget to pray decisions as it relates to housing decisions as it relates to uh, health decisions as it relates to next steps decisions as it relates to work um, do your due diligence but don't forget to pray financial needs health needs do your due diligence but don't forget to pray and don't and, and parents may I tell you this pray with your children for those needs you have a need a financial need pray for it with your children let them see god answer prayer you have a health need someone who's not well, someone who needs to stay well, whatever it might be, let them see you pray. Let them see God answer prayer. Help them to understand, teach them, help them to learn by God coming through, by God being who He is, faithful, that God loves us and that as a loving Father, He will give good gifts to His children. And so that is my simple exhortation this evening. Don't forget to pray. Don't forget to bring your request before the Lord. Don't neglect that time with Him. Lay your request before Him. Seek unto Him. Come confidently. Trust Him. And not only will you find God's best as you do it God's way, but God also ministers to your heart. Philippians 4 speaks of the peace of God which passeth all understanding that keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We want that. There's a way to have it and that's by making our request be made known unto God.